So I'm doing a series on the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Excuse me. And today we're talking about the Seventh Commandment. Exodus 20, 14. You must not commit adultery. Let's pray before I begin. Father, your Ten Commandments were written to reveal to us what sin is. For the unbeliever, Father, it shows them that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they need a Savior to save them from their sin. For if there's no sin, then there's no gospel. Because the gospel is Jesus came to save us from our sin, to forgive us, to offer grace. And for the believer, the Ten Commandments hold boundaries that keep us from pain in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that you would uh, mark those boundaries clear and in a loving way today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I'm calling this sermon, Drink Water from Your Own Well. Look at Proverbs 5.15. <clears throat> Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Now, I want you to know that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I don't do politics or popular culture from the pulpit. I do the Bible. And so as we come to issues that revolve around these Ten Commandments, I want you to know I'm not getting political, I'm getting biblical. These are moral issues, not political issues. <clears throat> and I do not believe that you should be able to shut the mouth of God, the Holy Scriptures, with cultural intimidation. But I believe that's happening today in America. <clears throat> Or we're feeling some intimidation coming from the media, coming from politics, coming from people all around us to where we're just closing off and we don't want to share the truth that will set people free anymore because we're afraid. I don't have the luxury <clears throat> of doing that as a pastor. I don't have the luxury of even preaching in such a way that you would like me. I'm not even allowed necessarily to do that. Here's my charge from the scripture. So I want you to see why I come the way I come with this today. This is written to a preacher in the Bible, and it says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up the kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Here's what preachers are supposed to do. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage people with good teaching. Your people, it says. For a time is coming, and I believe it's come, where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation and don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. So, <clears throat> as we approach these things around sexuality, I'm going to try to bring, not what I think, <clears throat> not the balance between what you and I think. As a matter of fact, I remember a bumper sticker a long time ago. It said this, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I like, I like that, but it's, it's not completely correct. God said it, and that settles it. Whether we believe it or not, it's true. And so I'm going to try to bring the scriptures to speak of the truth of God concerning 
our sexuality. Now, here's a good Bible definition for adultery as we look at this today. I'm going to speak uh, just a broad swath of sexuality in, um, in this sermon, but I'm going to talk about adultery. So here's, here's a good biblical definition. Adultery is willful sex outside of the marriage between a woman and a man. Willful sex, because some people have it forced upon them, that wouldn't be God. Willful sex outside of the marriage between a woman and a man. So I have seven things <clears throat> that will show what's things that are outside the plan of God and seven things that reveal what the plan of God is for sexuality this morning. I have to move quick. You'll have to take notes. Maybe look at the podcast later if you're not able to get it because we are going to fly. I'm reading twice as much scripture as normally here, so we, we have to move quick this morning. So first seven things, sex that is outside of God's plan revealed in the Bible. 20 years ago, this would not have been necessary to say in a culture, especially to a church culture, but it's necessary these days because people don't seem to understand it. We're not looking at the Bible. But the first thing I have revealed outside of God's plan for sexuality is homosexuality. I just want you to know that the Bible never allows believers to practice homosexuality, nor does it permissively ever speak permissively of homosexuality. Every time it talks about marriage in a biblical context, it's a man and a woman in marriage, and the Bible speaks at least 20 times about homosexuality, and every time in a negative fashion, never a positive one. So today, we're taking our cues from politicians who quote part of the scriptures, but not all of them. And we're taking our clues from Hollywood on sexuality with movies and sitcoms. I just have a little question for you. How's Hollywood doing with their own personal lives? How's it going for them with their philosophies? There's a lot of brokenness there. A lot of fame, but a lot of brokenness behind the scenes. Because it doesn't work. There is solid scriptural support that forbids the practice of homosexuality for believers in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want to read just a couple of passages for you this morning. Remember, as you look at this, these, these are God's words, not mine. Romans 1.24, So God abandoned them to do whatever, their shame, whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, that's, that's in the New Testament. That's the Bible. I know it's not read much, but perhaps that's why we should read it every now and then. But let me just throw out a few words that are in there concerning this. Degrading, shameful, against the natural, instead of. Not normal, shameful things, penalty. That, that's all in there. When it's natural, the plumbing works. Right? I mean, I know that's forward, but, but God made the plumbing to work. And right. When it's natural, you can have children together because that procreation was part of 
what he was doing. Now, let's read further. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Lest we just single out the sin of homosexuality. We're not doing that this morning. It's one of many sins listed in the Bible, and you can see it here. Verse 9. Don't you realize that those, this is 1 Corinthians 6, that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Let me just stop there for a moment and say that when it comes to this issue of homosexuality, there are those who would uh, culturally intimidate a preacher like me, or try to, and say, you're not speaking with enough love. Well, I have a question. Is it, if someone's in inherent danger of being hurt, wounded, killed, or their soul lost for eternity, is it more loving to let them go their own way and be lost for eternity, or more loving to show them the danger, even if it costs you a little bit, to show them so that they can have a chance to be saved? Um, if, if I know that there's a den or a pit of rattlesnakes outside the door. Is it more loving for me to say, whatever you want to do, this is your life, or to warn people, don't go out there. There's danger. To me, love will get in the way sometimes because you care so much, you know eternity is on the line. So how do you, how do you treat homosexual people. I'll tell you how you treat them. You treat them just like Jesus did with love. You care about them. You build relationships. How will they know unless we walk with them and love them and care for them? But you don't let go of the truth. See, the word civil has been lost in our society. Now the cultural intimidation says, you must believe what I believe or you're a bigot. Here's what it says, verse 11. Some of you were once like that. Huh. So I looked up once like that in the Greek, and it meant once like that, like before, not now. So if you were once like that, that means that you followed the scriptural precedent of repenting of lifestyle of sin. You call it bad, you call it sin, you turn around, you go the other way, and you get the grace of God to forgive you, but you also get the grace of God to help you overcome as you head towards the future. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were once like that, but not anymore. Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't be, don't be sucked in by politicians who use portions of the Scripture. The Bible, you've heard me say this a hundred times, I'm going to say it again. The Bible is full of grace and truth. As a matter of fact... Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's how the, that's how the scriptures describe Jesus in, in 1 John, full of grace and truth. So I think of grace and truth like the two wings of an airplane. Here's grace. Now you tell me how the plane's going to fly with grace but no truth. How's the plane going to fly? Here's truth. Now tell me how it's going to fly with just truth but no grace. Truth is a club that will beat people up if there's no grace. Grace is just as damaging because you get the snot beat out of you in your life if, if you make it permissive. There's nothing wrong with grace, but permissive grace that has no truth involved where the boundaries are, no concern for people so they won't get hurt or wounded in this world. It's just as damaging as legalism, permissiveness. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And that's when the airplane flies well is when they're both both those things are present. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, wherever you find truth, shortly around it, you'll find grace. Wherever you find grace, 
close around that, you'll find truth. That balance is so in the scriptures. God cares about people. Before marriage now, if you have sex before marriage, you're outside of the plan of God. Let's look at that. Romans 13, 13. Because we belong to the day. Now notice the difference between day and dark here. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. So here's a question for you. I, I use this scripture as one to say, how far can you go? Because we live in a society where, um, you know, what, what sex is, the definition is being changed. People think it's, it's only intercourse now, right? A few years ago, the definition was, was rewritten of, of sex, and it's just sexual intercourse, and you can go as far as you want in a dating relationship. Well, this says behave as in the day, not as in the dark. It's talking about sexual immorality. Now, now so, so here's what I say. How far can you go in a dating relationship before you're married? As far as you'd go in the broad daylight right here in front of everyone. In front of all the believers, how far would you go? Well, listen, here's, here's maybe a little better definition for you. Anytime it's skin upon skin for the purpose of sexual arousal, you've gone too far. And so you have to be careful. Why? Because you're human. Because you're sexual being. God made a sexual, and you're going to hear about that, but he, but he has boundaries for that. So, you know, any one of us can fall. I promise you, better men and women of God than you have fallen. And so we have to protect ourselves. We have to be careful. We can't stand the heat, so we need to stay out of the kitchen. We need to save that for the beautiful place of intimacy that God has created it for. And we need to be cautious. And it goes on to say, verse 14, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord and don't think or don't let yourself think about ways. Another version says, don't even think about it, a way that you can be involved with sex before marriage or outside of marriage. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, God's will is for you to be holy, to stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. I need some water. If someone can, can help me, I have a cold I'm working through today. Um, please. Thank you. Um, if you have sex before you're married, then you're taking something from your spouse as well. Um, it's, it's, virginity is a wonderful gift that you can give your, your spouse. And it's, in, in one sense, it is adultery because it's sex outside of marriage. Uh, there's another word uh, that, that is uh, translated fornication, which, which deals with sexual immorality, all sexual immorality. And any fornication, uh, any sex outside of marriage is, is still taking something um, from your spouse that's the future to become or, 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 um, or even if you've been married and now you're divorced or now you're in, a, uh, you're, you're, you're in a place where you're thinking about being married again, you need to keep yourself pure between those relationships. And that leads me to another one that our culture struggles with outside of God's plan, living together. 
You need to know it's sin to live together and have sex if you've not stood somewhere to declare your intentions in a ceremony that you're committed to this person for life. When you stand up at that wedding place and you make that commitment, you're saying, I'm, I'm ready for life to give myself, for the rest of my life, to give myself to this person. You say, well, we are committed like that. Well, well, why don't you stand up and tell everybody then? Well, we're not really ready financially. Oh, you, did I hear not ready in there? If you're not ready financially, you're not ready to be married. If you're, if, if you're not ready uh, be, because you're not sure, then, then, then listen, people who live together before they mar- they're married have a greater divorce rate. You know, we, they're, they're fond of saying, don't you want to drive the car before you buy it? Listen, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because people who, who are involved who, in, in a relationship like that, living together for days or years, and now culturally we have a bigger problem. Because in the dorm rooms in college and in the dorm situation, we have guys and girls everywhere. They live together. So we have them moving into houses together. And they're saying it's innocent. There's not a problem. Uh, again, I would say... There's greater likelihood of problems when that happens. And I would say this, you should be concerned about appearance as a believer. believer. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from the appearance of evil. Why? Because people are watching. Because example does matter. 1 Peter 2.12 says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then if they accuse you of doing wrong... They will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The only place for sex in God's plan is a relationship with a man and a woman who are committed together in this relationship for life, who stand up and say, I am hers and she is mine. So here's what to do if you're living together. Move out of this situation until you're ready to get married. Honor God, and He will honor you. Fourth, and this is really the crux of the commandment. I'm kind of hitting a wide swath today. Any sex outside of marriage, you're in a marriage relationship, any sex outside of that marriage relationship is outside of the plan of God. Hebrews 13.4, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer, and all the sexually immoral. I can't tell you how many times I've dealt with men and women whose lives are ruined because they chose pleasure for a moment in an adulterous relationship, and they faced regret for a lifetime. Now, I said it in the prayer, but I want to say it, say it again. God loves you as a believer, right? For the unbeliever, the reason this is important, you, you're not saved because you do these things. Let's just get this right. This is behavior stuff. You're not saved because of this. But to the unbeliever, it shows you that we've all sinned. The Ten Commandments show us that we're sinners. Run the Ten Commandments, if, if, and you see if you haven't sinned somewhere. And if you tell me you haven't, then, then you've just committed your first sin uh, because you're lying. All of sin and fallen short of the God, glory of God. The Ten Commandments show us, and if, there, if, there's no, if we haven't sinned, there's no need for a Savior. You can't even preach the gospel if there's no sin, because there's no need for it. 
We're separated from God because of our sin. Jesus came to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and we're saved from this place called hell when we receive Jesus Christ. And we get to go to this place called heaven where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. There's only one way to get there. It's through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. If there's no sin, there's no gospel. So that's good for every unbeliever to know. But it's good for believers to know that after we're saved, you get beyond these boundaries, you get hurt. Man, you just get hurt. God loves you as a believer. He'll love you even when you sin. But catch this. He will not bless your sin. He will not. You will pay consequences for your sin when you, when you commit sin. And sometimes your marriage relationship is lost forever. Now, we don't recommend uh, immediate separation and divorce when people have a relationship that's broken like this. We always work to reconcile. But did you know that this sin is so grievous that even Jesus said uh, that he doesn't allow for divorce unless you're putting your spouse away because they've committed adultery against you? Evidently, it is such a deep and grievous sin that if the spouse can't overcome it, Jesus will allow them to separate on that basis. Now that's the Bible. I'm not making that up. Some people don't like to hear that either, but it's the truth. Something is broken. It can be restored. The grace of God is amazing. I've seen it restored over and over again, but there has to be a humility that says, I've done wrong. I'll do whatever it takes to get right with God and right with my spouse and then walk it out and God can heal it. But let me read these scriptures. I'll let the scriptures talk for themselves now. I'm just going to read right through some Proverbs passages. The fear of God is a good thing, right? People think, oh, you should never fear God because uh, perfect love casts out all fear. It's true, but it's talking about two different kinds of fear. Uh, fear that God won't love you. Fear that God won't save you. Fear that you're not worthy enough. Perfect love casts that out. But there is a fear of God that is healthy. And here's the fear. I believe in him so much and I trust him so much that if I cross the boundaries that he gives me, if I go ahead and hop down there and do what he tells me not to do, I'm going to get hurt. I have the fear of God where I'm going to stay on this side of the line and not hurt myself and everybody else. That's a healthy fear. That's a fear that's based in love. He's so good, he wouldn't tell me that unless he's trying to bless me, help me, protect me. So here it is in the scriptures, Proverbs 5, verse 3. For the lips of an immoral woman are sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you'll lose your honor, and you'll lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Now, this isn't just for the guy. This works in reverse for the girl, too, in this passage. But um, did you know... The alimony's in the Bible. Look at verse 10. Strangers will consume your wealth, and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you'll groan in anguish, and disease will consume your body, venereal disease. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? I can't tell you how many people I've sat with who feel this, who've messed up. Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I've come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. Whew, that ought to put the fear of God in you right there. Serious. Proverbs 5.21, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. Still in the context of sexuality there. 
Now jumping to Proverbs 6. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you, for a prostitute will bring you to poverty. But sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. I'm just letting the Bible talk for itself right now. Proverbs 7. So she seduced him and her pretty speech, uh, with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, waiting, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she's been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. And people would say to me at times, don't you know you make people feel bad when you say that stuff? All I did was read the Bible. Won't you tell the Bible, don't you know you make people mad when you say that stuff, God? Don't tell me, tell him. I know people have made mistakes and I, I, the grace of God is here to forgive and there, there are so many here that the grace of God has covered and they've overcome and it's awesome. But listen, there are people here who have not made these mistakes and the point is we're telling them not to. We're not casting off revelation so they won't cast off restraint. They need to know where the boundaries are and we need to save them as preachers so that they might be blessed and their families might be blessed. Another problem that's outside the plan of God is pornography. Jesus said, these are the words of Jesus. If you think I'm too harsh, look what Jesus said. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Notice it's the eyes and looking and lust, which is, that's why I connected pornography with it. That's an eyes thing too. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What? Jesus won't talk like that. Yes, he did. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. There it is again. It's a serious stuff. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Set up every roadblock you can. Men, the, you, you, these are, this is an area where, where, where you're more inclined to have trouble. But ladies are having trouble with pornography these days too. It's, it's new, but it's happening. And don't, the, the only seat of affection sexually for your eyes should be your spouse. Don't let them go anywhere else. Put up roadblocks. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of software for computers. Block your TVs. Have accountability partners. But keep yourself free from looking, from lusting. Pornography is always wrong. It's never right. It doesn't enhance. It destroys. Six, allowing sexual thoughts outside of the marriage relationship. Now, this is, this is where ladies might read these romance novels and the thoughts might be more of a challenge to them than the eyes. 
Temptation is the pull of a man's own evil thoughts, the Bible says, and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions. You see how the thought, when we hold on to it and we fantasize or we let it go, uh, it, it can lead to sin is what the Bible's telling us. They lead to evil actions and afterwards the death penalty from God. So don't be misled, dear brothers. And here's that scripture again I read earlier. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Romans 13, 14. Don't even think about those thoughts. The Bible says in another place, take thought every, take captive every thought that sets itself up against the principles, the basic principles of Jesus Christ. So we take those thoughts captives. We don't let ourselves go there. We say, no, 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 wrong thought. And then we quote scripture. Then we pray. Then we get an accountability partner. But we watch our thoughts too. We don't let them go to a person that we're attracted to. As a matter of fact, I just want to throw this out there. Don't meet with lunch. Don't call people on the phone that you're attracted to if you're married and in a relationship. Let that be a warning zone. If you think they're attractive or you feel the pull of something, I, I, I never meet alone with, with women. It's just a, a commitment that I've made, except for Karen. I'll meet alone with her. Um, but I don't have appointments with women even at the church unless someone else is present. Uh, it's not because I don't trust myself or trust them. It's just because I don't, I, I, anything can be said in any situation unless you have a witness. And so I don't do it. And, and if, if she needs ministry, there's other people who can minister to her. It doesn't have to be me alone. And I don't meet for lunch appointments. And I know some of you are in situations at work where you're required to do some of these things. But I'm just saying, be hugely cautious, especially if there's... Uh, somewhat of an attraction that's there. Just block it. Don't walk by that desk. Do Be, be careful. Roadblocks are good. Oh, man, I'm not going to make it uh, through 14 points. Another, another thing that's, that's wrong, it's, it's thinking of sex outside of God's plan in marriage. And I'm going to tell you, the sitcoms, the sitcoms will make it look like sex is it, it, the worst place to have it is in marriage when it's really the best. Like it's boring inside marriage. The truth is, there's no better sex than the sex that God calls for. It's, it's the world that doesn't know, not the church. The church knows how awesome sex can be with the intimacy and the plan that God called for. The world only knows physical attraction and physical pleasure. They never get to the intimate part if they're straying. So this is outside God's plan. It might surprise you. Infrequently in marriage, the husband 1 Corinthians 7, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations. Now, I'm going to tell you, this will save marriages, this today. I might be the only preacher that I know who calls for more sex in marriage with believers. What's normal? I'm going to step out a little bit. I'm going to step out, and I'm taking this from studies in the world. Normal is one to five times a week. Abnormal is once a month. So now, I think the two of you can, can make a decision, but if there's hurts and there's wounds that make it hard for you to join this way, I believe that a husband or a spouse should be very, very careful because it, especially if there's been incest or rape, the, the, the woman's heart sometimes is so wounded. The man's heart is so messed up. But I want to say with all the compassion I can muster, would you get to a Christian counselor who can help you overcome so you can bless your spouse?
Because it's normal to be in the right kind of relationship. It's what, it's what God calls for. So to one, I say, please be compassionate if they've been wounded and be careful. To the other, I say, please do everything you can to get your heart healed up so you can be a blessing to your spouse. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. What a bummer, man. I take 31 minutes to talk about everything that's wrong, and I've got six minutes to talk about what's right now. Let me move fast. I've spoken of it already to some degree. Here's the reasons God invented sex for marriage. Unmatched intimacy. A committed and exclusive marriage relationship is the only way where the two can really become one. Just these two in this relationship. Awesome intimacy. Adam said in Genesis 2, this is it. She's part of my bone and flesh. Her name is woman because she was taken out of, taken out of a man. Sex is not an animal function. It's an expression between two humans of deep personal commitment between that man and that woman. Now, Proverbs 5.17 it's talking of sexuality. It says, your spring water is for you and you only, not to be passed around among strangers. Bless your fresh flowing fountain. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take love for granted. Why should you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills? So that's the message, a paraphrase, but I love it. Enduring intimacies. Enduring intimacy, that's what you get in God's plan. And then this, I'm really out on the line. I've never done this in all these years. I wanted the kids gone. Here's part of it. It's in the Bible. I'm just going to read it. Song of Solomon, part, part of sexuality is mutual pleasure. God created it pleasurable. He, he's the creator of it. It's, it's not only okay, it's good. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. That is the first time in 30 years of preaching I've ever said that B word right there. How beautiful you are and how pleasing. Oh, love, with your delights, your stature is like the palms and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb... The palm tree, I will take hold of its fruit. May your breast be like, I can't even look at you. May your breast be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Belong, I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. Come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Wow, that's in the Bible. The reason I have to say this is because the church is kind of messed up on this message about sexuality. Basically, they said this by accident. Sex is a filthy, disgusting, immoral experience and save it for the one you love. <laughs> it's not filthy, it's not disgusting, it's not immoral. It's great when it's done God's way and God's plan. And we see the expression of it right there. Moving on, I almost lost my breath there uh, <clears throat> in that point. When we do it God's way, now here, I want you to catch this. I felt like the Lord just gave me this thought for us today. If we'll do it God's way and you'll keep it intimate between you and your spouse, 
there'll be a deep sense of significance that's developed in them. Here's what I mean by that. Song of Solomon says this, My beloved is mine and I am his. When we are so committed to one another, when, when it's exclusively right here between the two of us in marriage, the man and the woman, we feel important. If eyes are wondering, your wife is not going to feel important, let alone behavior, just eyes wondering. But when we do it God's way, we feel important. They feel that they're the priority. They feel attractive. We feel attractive. They feel desired, desirable. They feel cared for. They feel ir- irreplaceable, and that's what God wants. He wants us to have that sense of deep significance that I am my beloved, and she is mine, he is mine, a deep sense of significance. So if we don't have it, that deep sense of significance is lost. If something's broken and out of whack, then mutual fulfillment. I, I read a survey um, once that said good sex in marriage is 20% of having a great marriage. So I, I just, I just want to throw that out there. I, th- I think there's, there's a lot to that. I don't, I don't want to overplay sexual intimacy here. But, but, but when you have that sense of significance and importance, and when you have this sense of walking together through life, because here's the plan. God wanted you to journey through life with your spouse. Knowing that you're special and wanting you to feel special. He wanted you to have someone to hold hands with, to walk with, to do dinner with, to laugh with, to do life with as a partner. And we don't want to mess that up. My family has been so blessed. Some of you, some of you, you've just never even seen this stuff work. It doesn't work if people won't work it. Right? There's just so much, so much choice involved. It, it will not work if people don't work it. Just so happens that Karen and I and our children have seen two marriage relationships that, are over, that, that, that lasted 54 years or longer. And they were beautiful. They are beautiful. Karen's mother passed away a couple of years ago. And man, what a, what a legacy to see these two love each other so much through life, to see them enjoying life, to see them vacationing and going to the mission field and giving and caring and loving, to see them so committed to one another. I'm telling you, what God wants is he wants you to have mutual, mutual fulfillment in a relationship, not just sex. And so that is damaged if we get outside God's boundaries with sexuality. 1 Peter 3, 7, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Another, that, another version, that same scripture, a partner. And God gave us sex in marriage, in the boundaries between a man, with a man and a woman in marriage, to curb outside temptation. That's the fifth thing. If you're not there for your spouse on a regular basis, You're putting them in a greater place of temptation. I know that that would be very hard for them to say to you because it feels defensive and ungodly for, because, the, you know, they, they have one thing on their mind at the, that moment, right? But let's look at what the Scripture says. We're back to that Scripture. Don't deprive each other of sexual relationships unless you both agree to refrain 
from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you. Meaning if you don't come together, there's a place of greater temptation there. Because of your lack of self-control. I'm just reading the Bible. I've had people mad at me for this stuff before. I've had people glad at me for this stuff before too. And then an obvious one is God gave us sexuality to procreate. That's why it takes a man and a woman. That's why that's part of the confines, to procreate, to have children. Genesis 1, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And then 7, I'm going to skip ahead. All of this, one of the great blessings of doing it God's way is keeping families together. There, there are a lot of people here who have a higher IQ than I do. Um, but it's in simply following the word that blessing is found. It's not even in great articulation uh, that's the key. It's, it's just in being obedient and following. If you obey all the decrees and commands, Deuteronomy 440, this is one of my favorite scriptures that I'm giving you today. All will be well with you and with your children. I'm giving you these instructions so you enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God has given you for all time. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. When the Lord builds a house, he lays out the framework carefully so we know where the boundaries are. He's not against sex, he's for it. He created it. But he created it for the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And he wants there to be blessing. Now, I think I'd be remiss not to bring this last little bit up. I'm sorry for going long today. John 8.10, it's a place where Jesus is with the woman who was caught in adultery. The very act of adultery, the Bible says. Interesting in that culture, and God righted it, um, women were punished more for sexual sin than the men. Truth is, your sin will find you out man or woman. And we pay consequences for that sin. Even though God forgives us, we'll face consequences on this earth for it. <clears throat> she was caught in the act of adultery, they were taking up stones to kill her because that's what the culture did. They, they actually killed a woman caught in adultery. And Jesus stood with her in the path between her and the stones. And he started to draw something on the ground. We don't really know what it is, but he was writing on the ground. Perhaps it was the names of the men around that had committed adultery that he was writing in the ground there. And he said, let the one without sin cast the first stone. And everyone had to think about it, drop their stones and walk away because all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he looked with grace, compassion, and love into the eyes of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And he said, woman, who condemns you? And she said, no one. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now we have this, maybe the greatest illustration of grace and truth in the Bible in these next two lines. Neither do I condemn you. 
grace. Truth. Now go and leave your life of sin. Grace and truth. And so Jesus comes today not to condemn. Listen, conviction might be appropriate because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin to bless our lives and get us on the right track to keep us from going the wrong way. But condemnation is never appropriate. There's no condemnation from Jesus. There's no condemnation coming from my heart today. There is the love of God coming to bless you, to protect you, and show you the way so you can walk in it and he can build your house.